This is Daf Kaf Bet in Masechet Megillah. We are on Kaf Aleph Amud Bet, four lines from the bottom of the Amud. There are four aliyot in the Torah reading on Rosh Chodesh and Cholam Moed. Bamine Ula Barav Merava. Ula Barav asked Rava a question. Parashat Rosh Chodesh Ketan Kurinota. How do, do we manage to read the Parashat Rosh Chodesh? Because Tavet Bnei Yisrael v'Amatal Lehem et Korbani Lachmid Aviant Manya Psukei. The first paragraph, so to speak, or section of that reading has eight psukim. So Echin Avid, what do we do with it? Nikret Reit Latat Lata Psukei So if we have the first two readers read three psukim each, so then Pashulut Reit. So then there's only going to be two left in the paragraph. In Mishnah Parashat Bachot Mishlosha Psukin. We never leave less than three psukim at the end of a paragraph, at the end of a sec- segment of text in the Torah. So Nikret Arba Arba. So if we have the first two read four psukim each, so that will exhaust the entire eight psukim. But Pashulu Shiva, but then we only have seven Psukim left. The two of Uvyoma Shabbat, which is one paragraph on its own, and then the five of Uvrashekot Shechem. So how are we going to do that? Right? Uvyoma Shabbat Avyan So that's two. Uvrashekot Shechem Avyan Chamisha. That's five. So what do we do? We have two more readers and seven Psukim. So hypothetically, it wouldn't be a problem because one could read four, one could read three, but the problem is how they are laid out. So if the third reader, in other words, if we have the first two readers read eight, the first eight psukim, so now we have seven left, a paragraph of two and a paragraph of five. So if the first person reads the first two and then one from the next paragraph, you're not allowed to go into a paragraph with less than three psukim. So you can't just read one from the next paragraph. So if we read the two Uvyoma Shabbat from that two Pasuk paragraph and three into the next paragraph, we're going to leave two at the end. Then we're going to Pashulu Trey. Then you're going to end up leaving two at the end of that one. In other words, there's nothing you can do. In the first paragraph, if you have three and three read, then you're going to leave two at the end of that paragraph. It's no good. If you read all eight of those Psukim with the first two readers, so then you have seven Psukim, a two paragraph and a five paragraph left. And how are you going to split that among to readers without either entering into the second paragraph with less than three psukim or leaving off at the end of the, th- the last paragraph less than three psukim. It's impossible. So Amar Lo, so he said to him, in other words, uh, Rava answered, Zolo Shemati. I didn't hear the answer to that. I heard something similar. This is talking about the Ma'amadot that we learned about in Masechetani, that they had a groups that would read from Maaseh Bereshit. They were the uh, representative groups of uh, Yisraelim that would be either gathered in their neighborhoods or, or near the Beit HaMikdash uh, in Yerushalayim. Those who lived in Yerushalayim would congregate in the Beit HaMikdash to be present and representative of the Jewish people at the Korbanot. They would read from the Torah, Bereshit, Bishnaim. So the thing is, so they would read from Bereshit. So on, the fir- on, on Sunday, they would read Bereshit and the Hierarchiah. Right? So then, Vitane Allah, Bereshit Bishnaim. The first paragraph, Bereshit, they would have two people read it. Okay, and Hirakia behad, and one person read the Hirakia. So the thing is like this. We asked a question. We understand how the Hirakia paragraph, which is the Yom Sheni, second day of creation, can be behad. It can be with one person because it's not the because it's three psukim in total. But how can you have two people read from Bereshit? It's five psukim. Right, so what are you going to do? Vetania, Kori, but Allah, Yifchot, Mishra, Psukim. So if the first reader reads three psukim, so he's only leaving two. 
So how can we uh, how can we make a reading out of th- three two people read from a paragraph that has only five psukim? We learned Rav says you have to repeat the middle pasuk, and Shmuel says you split the middle pasuk. In other words, according to Rav, you read one, two, three, and then you read three, four, five. According to Shmuel, you read one, two, and half of three, and acor- and then the second person reads the other half of three, four, and five. Why doesn't Rav want you to split the middle pasuk? Because we don't create our own psukim. Any pasuk that Moshe didn't make, we don't make. So therefore, if it's five psukim, it's five psukim. We're not going to make more psukim out of it. We're just going to have to repeat a pasuk. And Shmuel says it's okay. But then Rabbi Chanina, the teacher of Torah, say, That Rabbi Chanina Gadol gave me a really hard time. He only allowed me to break up psukim for the children, of little children. Because it was being done for education. But otherwise, he wouldn't allow me to ever break a pasuk in half. So how could Shmuel allow it? Well, over there, what was the reason why in the end he was allowed to do it for the little children? Because because there was no other way to teach them. So Here too, there was no other reason, way to do it. Why doesn't Shmuel like the idea of skipping, meaning of repeating a pasuk? Why does he only like breaking up The answer is because of those who come in late and leave early. In other words, if a person comes in and sees that you are starting from Pasuk number three, so they are going to assume that the previous reader only read Pasuk one and two, right? Only read two Pasukim. Or if they come in, so that's for a person who comes in late. And if a person leaves early after the first reader read one, two, and three, they're going to assume that the next reader is only going to read four and five. It gives the wrong impression. So that's not a good idea, the skipping. Okay, meaning the repeating, rather. So, there is an objection. If you have a paragraph of, of six psukim, two people read it. If you have, it's only five, then you have one person read it. If the first guy read three, so then the guy who's stuck, he has no choice. The first guy already finished off his reading of three. So now, even though you're not supposed to do that because you're leaving two psukim at the end of a paragraph, he should read those two psukim and one into the next paragraph. Some say, no, go three psukim into the next paragraph because you shouldn't start a paragraph and do less than three psukim either. So that so that's the point. So why doesn't this bright suggest repeating a pasuk or dividing up a pasuk? Why does it only deal with um, uh, either continue, continuing on basically in the reading instead of repeating a pasuk or dividing one. Because there's a different solution, you can continue reading. I mean, we're talking about a reading that continues on. Let's say a parashat shavua. You could continue on to the next section. It's no problem. But in our case, we can only read the part that's for Rosh Chodesh, so we don't have the option to do that. By the way, the halacha falls the Yeshomrim that you cannot start a new paragraph unless you're going to read three psukim into it. Just like you can't start a new paragraph and read less than three psukim, you also cannot end less than three psukim from the end of a paragraph. Pshita, that should be obvious. That should be obvious because the Tanakama was strict, uh, was lenient about starting a paragraph, one pasuk in a new paragraph, and yet, right? So 
Uh, right? If if in a case where atchalta starting a new paragraph less than three pesukim, the Tanakh kamat, the kam mekil Tanakh kamat, Tanakh kamat was allowing you to go into the next paragraph just one pasuk. But machmiri yeshomrim, the yeshomrim, the other opinion said no, you have to continue three. Shiur the machmir Tanakh kamat, leaving over less than three pesukim at the end of a paragraph. The that uh, that the machmir Tanakh kamat, the Tanakh kamat is strict. Lo kol sheke the machmir yeshomrim, so certainly the yeshomrim is going to be strict. In other words. You see from this that starting a paragraph uh, at less than, uh, than three psukim is more lenient, right? Because in a case where the Tanakhama allows you to start a, par- a, pas- a new paragraph, go into the following paragraph, only one pasuk, to make up the number of psukim that you need, he doesn't allow you to stop in the middle and leave over only two psukim, right? So certainly the Yesh Omrim that says that you can't even start a new paragraph Less than three psukim is definitely going to say that you can't leave over less than three psukim. Should be. No, the answer is no. No, you could say that the two things are independent, really. Because I might say like this look, it's one thing for somebody to show up late. And if they show up late, right, so then you have to be concerned that they're going to think that the person, uh, that, that, the, uh, that, that they're going to assume things about what they missed. Right, so they're gonna if the person if they show up late to the bit knesset, so that that means that they didn't hear what came before. All they're gonna see is right now what you're up to. So therefore, um, we have to be concerned, and that's where really that's where really people coming in late is normal. So they're gonna come in and see you read only one pasuk into the following paragraph. They're gonna think, oh, the previous reader obviously read just one pasuk because I see it's a new paragraph and only one pasuk has been read. This aliyah is starting at the second pasuk of the paragraph. Obviously, previous person read only one. But to leave early, meaning people who see that they stopped with only two pasukim left of the paragraph, they're unlikely to leave at that point and assume that the next person is gonna read only two pasukim. You could argue that leaving early is less common. So kamashmalan that we care about both of them. In other words, we care about both possibilities, about people who come in late and will assume that if, there's, if you're one pasuk into the paragraph, the previous person only read one. And about people who leave early and assume that what is left is all that the, person is, the next person is going to read. Why does the Tanakama strict about leaving over psukim? Then he says you, have, you can never leave less than three psukim at the end of a paragraph, but he doesn't care about starting the next paragraph. Right? So he says... He's worried about people leaving early. Why doesn't the Tanakhama think that way and say, look, if I'm worried about people leaving early, shouldn't I be worried about people coming in late? Right? He'll say, no, there's a difference. That it's true that it might be more common for people to come late than to leave early. But there's a difference because the person who does leave early isn't going to do further research about what the person, the next Ole read. A person who comes late and sees that they got that there's only they're one pasuk into a paragraph, he can ask, "Hey, why are they only one pasuk into a paragraph? Did the previous guy read only one pasuk?" And they'll correct it, meaning he's still in the game, so he's still in the context. He can still find out what the reality is. Whereas the person who left early, that's it. All he's going to have is the impression he had. So if you ended up stopping a paragraph with only two pasukim left, the guy who leaves now assumes that the next guy's reading only two. Shalach Rabba, the son of Rabba, asked Rabbi Yosef, what's Salacha? Shalach le'ilcheta doleg v'emtsai dolgan. He repeats and the middle person repeats. In other words, Salacha is like Rav, not Shmuel, that we repeat the middle pasuk. Now, there is a machlok at Rishonim if this is talking about 
the case of the Ma'amadot, where you have only three Aliyot, because it says the middle person repeats. So it sounds like it means where you have only three Aliyot, and it means that if you, you read the first three Psukim of Breshit, and the second person, one, two, and three, and the, th- the second person reads three, four, and five, to create two Aliyot out of the first paragraph of Breshit. But most of the ha- Halakha, uh, the, the is all, uh, Rosh Chodesh is also based on this Gemara, the assumption being that the middle person is the Levi. Our tradition today is, for in most places, that we read. Um, first, we read uh, the first three psukim of Rosh Chodesh, and one, two, and three. And then the Levi starts from V'yamartalehem, which is pasuk number three, and reads till the end of the paragraph, um, three, four, uh, and, I mean, not, not the end of the paragraph, really, but re- reads the next three psukim. There's eight psukim there. So the first Ole reads the first three psukim, one, two, and three. The Levi reads three, four, five, meaning he repeats the last pasuk that was read by the first Ole. And then six, seven, and eight, as well as the next two psukim of Uviyoma Shabbat are read by the, um, by the third Ole. So that's how we do it today. The Grad does bring a different minhag, a different custom in the, uh, in the name of the Masechet Sofrim, because the Gra points out that the problem with our Minhag is that it starts a paragraph less than three psukim from the top. So it doesn't really solve one of the major problems, because it ends up... It's true that the first Ole ends three psukim in, but the second Ole starts at pasuk number three, which means less than three psukim into the paragraph. And so that would seem to be uh, still a problem for the person who comes in at that point and assumes that the first Ole read only two psukim. So the Gra has another custom that attempts to avoid this problem. But in any case, the halacha and the practice that's brought in Shulchan Aruch and is the common practice is the way that I mentioned that the first Ole reads one, two, and three. Second Ole reads three, four, and five, which is called Doleg. Zeklal Koshish Bo Musaf. Any day that has Musaf has four aliyot. How many aliyot should there be on a fast day? So do we say, Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoed that have a Korban Musaf in the Beit HaMikdash, they have four aliyot, but the Tanit Tzibur, fast day doesn't have uh, any Korban, so maybe not. Or maybe we'll say that since there's extra Tfilah, um, she says, Tfilat Anenu, the extra Bachan Amida of Anenu is that's included. Maybe that's considered to be like a musaf. It's also possible that the reference here is to the uh, uh, the that on taniot tzibur they would actually have tefillat neilah at some point in some circumstances, as we learned about in masechet taanit. But in any case, there's extra tefillah. Maybe that should justify the extra aliyah. Tash. So it's so that, that's the question. Um, so it's like a musaf. Tashima, come and listen. So the fact that it mentions on Rosh Chodesh and Cholam Moed, you read four, the implication is that a fast day only three. Because it says specifically, the only on Rosh Chodesh and Cholam Moed you have four. What about the beginning? Or it says, On Monday and Thursday and Shabbat, you read three. So if you want to draw an inference, the inference from that is that a Tanit Zibor is four. Because it's not a Monday, a Thursday, or Shabbat, Obviously you can't derive anything from the omission here. We need some clear statement. Tashima, come and listen to Rav, Iklala Bavil Betani Tzibor. One time Rav came to Bavil on a communal fast day, Kamkara Besifra Patach Barich. He got up to read from the Sefer Torah and he said a Bacha, Chatim Velo Barich, only before his reading, not after. Naful Kule Alma Aan Payu, everybody fell on their face to do 
נפילת הפעים, תחנון, ורב לא נפל על הפה, ורב did not. מיכתי, wait a second, רב בישראל קרה. Rav was a Yisrael, he wasn't a Kohen. So my Tamar Chatam Velo Barich, why didn't he say Abachat, the end of his Aliyah, Rav Bishum Debay the Mikrei, Achrin Abatrei. Obviously there was a reader after him. Right, so that shows you that he must have been Shlishi, he got Shlishi. There must have been a Revi'i, a fourth Aliyah. No, Rav Bekanei Kara. No, Rav read as the Kohen. Deha Rav Huna Karei Bekanei, because we know Rav Huna read in the position of Kohen. Bishab Rav Huna Karei Bekanei, Da Afilu Rav Amiv Rav Asid Dekanei, Chashivit Da'ar Yisrael Gmechev Kaifule. That's different. Rav Huna read as a Kohen. Because even the greatest and most distinguished Kohanim, Rav Ami and Rav Asi, in Eretz Yisrael, re, were, were subordinate to Rav Huna. So therefore he had the kavod of reading as a, as a Kohen, in the Kohen position. El Rav, Ha'ika Shmuel, Dekan, Ahava, but Shmuel was a Kohen. And Rav and Shmuel coexisted at the same time. So Rav wasn't greater so that he could go and read in the position of Kohen as long as Shmuel was around, where there was a more distinguished Kohen. So it says... Uh, because so it says right right so and and he was and he was in charge of him meaning that he was uh, that uh, that was uh, more prominent than Rav so how could Rav take the position of coin so the answer is no Shmuel really Shmuel was under Rav he wasn't really above Rav. The only thing is that, uh, and, and Rashi, and, but the thing is that, but Rav treated him with kavod. So, Rav treated Shmuel with kavod when, they, when he was in the presence of Shmuel. But when he wasn't in the presence of Shmuel, really Rav was superior. So since Shmuel wasn't in this, uh, this shul, so Rav was allowed to go and uh, read as Kohen because he was the most distinguished person, even greater than the greatest Kohen who was around. And... Um, the reason is because Rav had cursed Shmuel that he wouldn't have any children, uh, the whole story in Masechet Shabbat, and therefore he felt bad and he treated him with special kavod. But he read as a coin, so now it says, Right, so, the, so because, and, and it fits better to say that Rav read as a coin because why would he read it? Because we asked, why didn't he read at the end of his uh, uh, bacha? Uh, but but the real question is why did he read at the begin? Why did he say abacha at the beginning of his uh, of his aliyah? If he was reading in the middle, then why would he say abacha at the beginning? So it says no. The difference is la'achar takana was after the takana that we, that everyone says abacha before and after their aliyah. But if that's true, okay. So So then why didn't he say abacha at the end? Then if it was after the time that everyone started saying abacha before and after their aliyah, why didn't he say one after his aliyah? Shani echad the answer is that we said before, what's the reason why they instituted saying Abacha before and after every Aliyah? Because of people who leave early. Now, people might come in late, uh, but once Rav is up there, nobody's going to leave early. So therefore, he doesn't have to say Abacha at the end of his Aliyah, even no matter what Aliyah he got. In other words, if he got an Aliyah in the middle, he could have said the Abacha before, for the sake of the people who came late, but he wouldn't have to say Abacha afterwards because nobody's going to leave after that. So whether he read as a Kohen or he read as a later Aliyah, you wouldn't be able to tell either way um, because he never would have had to say the Abacha at the end of his um, at the end of his Aliyah. So we still haven't determined whether... So we said that it looks like Rav could have uh, uh, said the uh, Kohen Bacha, but we still don't know if he definitely did, and we don't know how many Aliyot there are in the Tzibur. So now it says, Any day where people work. So there will be a, co- a loss of work time 
So, kegon tanit zibov tisha be'av, such as public fast days in tisha be'av, kohen gimit, we only have three aliyot, meaning even tisha be'av, there are places that they have the minhag that they work. So we can't cause them to stop going to, from going to work. We have to make the tefillah go faster. And the days that there is less of a loss of work, such as on Chol Moed, where most people were off, or on Rosh Chodashim, that it's not such a big uh, loss of work because the women had a minhag that they would not uh, work on Rosh Chodesh. Um, Rashi explains that this was a special zechut that they got, a special sachar, special reward for not participating in the Egel Zahav. Um, that they have the uh, they had had a day off. He also quotes from the Navi uh, in Shmuel that talks about how Shaul had a special uh, banquet on Rosh Chodesh. So clearly, it was not a day that people worked normally. So that's why you were allowed to add an Aliyah. But on on fast days, public fast days in Tisha B'av, you were not. So you see from that Shemamina, that's clear that there's no Aliyah. Fourth Aliyah on fast days. We did not learn this. We learned differently. We learn that any day that has a Musaf, ve'eno yom tov, if it's not a yom tov, then you have, um, uh, then you have uh, arba'ah. So the, according to Rashi, Ravashi is holding that no, fast day should have four aliyot, because when it says anything that has something extra has four aliyot, it's talking about Tisha, it's coming to include Tisha B'Av because it has anenu. Right? So it says, said the fact that it says any day that has something extra and is not a Yom Tov uh, has four Aliyot. Why would it say this is the rule? Okay? If it's only referring to Rosh Chodesh and Cholamoid, which are mentioned in the Mishnah, why would it say this is the rule? Come tell you, but according to Ravashi, our Mishnah doesn't follow any Tana. Why? The Brite clearly says that according to the Tanakhama, if Tisha B'Av falls out on Monday or Thursday, we have three Aliyot, and the last one is the Maftir. If it falls out on Tuesday or Wednesday, where there's normally not a Torah reader, the Torah reading, so we have one Ole, and he's the Maftir. According to Rabbi Yossi, no, there's always three aliyot with the last guy as the maftir. Right? So, so therefore you see that there's only three aliyot. So there's nobody holds four. Okay? So, the, so if that's the case, so, so but what about Ravashi's problem that it says Zeaklal, this is the rule as if it's coming to include something more. It can't be in order to include Rosh Chodesh and Cholom because that's written explicitly. Right? It already tells you that in Rosh Chodesh and Cholam Oed you have four aliyot. So it says, It's just a sign. It's just a rule of thumb to remember. So that people won't get confused and think that Cholam Oed and Yom Tov are the same. Rather, take this rule. Anything that any day that has something more than its fellow, it has an extra ole hilkach. Therefore, Rosh Chodesh and Chol HaMoed that have a Korban Musaf for Aliyot. Biyom Tov, Adas Ho Basiyat Melacha Chamisha. On Yom Tov that has a prohibition of Melacha, of work, you have five Aliyot. Yom HaKippurim, Danush Karet. Yom HaKippurim that there's a punishment of Karet for violating it. Shisha, there are six Aliyot. Shabbat, Ikaus, Ruskila, Shiva. Shabbat that has a prohibition that's even more strict that there's death penalty, seven Aliyot. Gufa, go back to what we said for Rabbi Kala, Bavil, Betanik, Zibor, Kam, Kara, Besifra, Patach, Barich, Chatam, Velo, Barich, Nafol, Kulei, Almalna, Anpayu, so we said that when Rav came on a fast day to Bavel, he read from the Torah, and then when everyone went to do Nefilat Apayim, to do Tachanun, he didn't join them. 
Why not? Why didn't he do Because it was a rock floor. You cannot make a bowing rock, a stone floor to bow on the Right? You're not allowed to bow on it in your land. Only in the Beit HaMikdash are you allowed to bow on stones. Like Ula said, that the Torah only forbade bowing on a floor of rocks. So since it was a rock floor and it wasn't in the Beit HaMikdash, he wouldn't bow on it. Right? So, uh, so the thing is, if that's the case, so uh, that he wasn't allowed to do it because it was... Um, it was uh, a stone floor. What about everybody else? Right, so it said, It was only in front of Rab, the stone floor, not in front of the other people. Why didn't he go to where they were? If the rest of the people were standing, obviously not in a stone floor, so they were allowed to do it. Why didn't he go to where they were? No, it says, He didn't want to walk by because everyone would have to stand up for him and everything, so he didn't want to go down. So he just didn't do alternatively. Rav's custom was to completely prostrate himself with hands and feet stretched out like a Superman type of pose. Okay? That was what was prohibited to do for on a stone floor. So everyone had a stone floor in front of them, but his custom was to completely flatten himself on the ground. Everyone else didn't do that, so they were allowed to do it on a stone floor, but he wasn't. Why couldn't he just bend his face to the ground and not completely lay prostrate on the ground so then he could do it even on a stone floor? He didn't want to change his custom. So, so answer number one is that the stone floor wasn't it was only in front of him. It wasn't in front of them. That's why they didn't if he left the pie and he didn't. Answer number two is that he was... Um, that he... Uh, uh, had a custom of complete prostration. It was really the stone floor was in front of everyone, but the rest of the community that didn't do complete prostration flat on the ground were allowed to do it on a stone floor. He wasn't. Or it could be because he was an Adam Chashuv, an important person. As Rabbi Elazar taught, An important person is not allowed to do nefilat unless he knows that he's going to be answered like Yoshua Benun. Because when it says, when Hashem said to Yoshua, get up, when he was falling on his face, crying and praying to Hashem after the loss at the Battle of Ai. So, um, so he told him to get up because he was allowed to because he knew he would be answered in his tefillah. So we learned from that. It says, Kum lach, you should get up, meaning you are allowed to do this bowing because you are a person who is um, who knows that they will have a uh, uh, an answer for their tefillah. When it says, it means on the face. When it says, that means bending on the knees. When it talks about Shlomo Melech, he was bowing on his knees. Bowing. That means when you stretch out your hands and your feet, you're completely prostrate and flat with the ground on your stomach. Will I and your mother and your brothers come to bow to you on the ground? Levi tried to demonstrate kida, which is where you go from a standing position to being on your face, but without flattening yourself totally out. He says you you dig your toes into the ground and you 
lean on them and you bend all the way over till your face touches the ground from a standing position. Levi did that and he became lame from it. Is that what actually caused him to become lame? Didn't we learn it actually in Masechet Tanit that Rabbi Lazar said that a person should never say negative things towards God, questioning God. Because there was somebody who said things that were chutzpah to Hashem, and meaning he said, you don't care about your children, you've gone on high and you ignore your children. When, when the Jewish people were suffering a famine, Levi complained, and he became lame. Umano, who was the great person? Because a great person did such a thing, spoke in a chutzpah manner uh, towards Hashem, and he became lame, Umanu Levi, and it was Levi. So it says, They were both caused it. In other words, the fa- he deserved the punishment for the way he spoke. And how did the punishment manifest itself? When he demonstrated this, uh, this bowing technique. In other words, Hashem punishes us, but not necessarily immediately. Uh, basically, that means that when the opportunity arises, that we're in danger, we get punished, and that's what happened to Levi. The, the way that Bayein uh, Rava would do it, since uh, uh, an important person is not supposed to to fall on his face in public because he might not be answered or it'll be an embarrassment and a busha. So therefore, he says, I saw that Rava and Bayein Rava would go on their sides. They didn't go flat on their face because they're not allowed to do that, but they would go on their sides to do nefilat apayim.